Today's episode is brought to you by North Texas Honda Dealers. North Texas Honda Dealers, they're here to help. Welcome everyone to the Republic of Football. I'm your host, Shahan J. Roger, the college football insider at Dave Campbell's Texas Football. You can find all of our work at TexasFootball.com. You can find us on Facebook, Dave Campbell's Texas Football. You can find us on Twitter at DCTF. You can find us, uh, you can subscribe to us rather, TexasFootball.com slash subscribe. Uh, and as always, we've got Ishmael Johnson in the house. Ish, uh, how'd you spend your, uh, your Saturday watching? Uh, you know, there was a couple big games on, um, you know, it was, it was a decent, let's say it was a decent uneventful night for the most part though, right? Yeah, I'd say so. You know, for, for me, I mean, obviously I was in Waco this weekend, right. um, you know, for <laughs> the one sort of really game changing game of the weekend. Uh, but you know, there was, it was a pretty chalky weekend, I'd say. For um, the most part. Yeah. You know, I mean, there wasn't anything too crazy, obviously, you know, we'll, we'll get to uh, the biggest game of the weekend mm-hmm. a little later in the show, obviously being uh, Rice versus Middle Tennessee. But, uh, <laughs> but <laughs> in fact, let's let's go ahead and get right into it. Okay, so sure, um, let's go for it. So guess what? So Rice is no longer the last team in the state because, unlike the UTEP Miners, they do in fact have an FBS win now. So let's mm-hmm. start with UTEP. So UTEP lost thirty-seven ten to UAB. Whatever. I mean. You know, UAB is better than them. That's right. not really something that should come as a big shock. Uh, the one thing that I'll say, they actually inserted Gavin Hardison into the game at quarterback. So Gavin Hardison, who was a JUCO kid from New, Me- New Mexico Military Institute, uh, was mm-hmm. actually the second leading passer in all of high school football, I think in 2017, I want to say. Okay. Um, they put him into the game, and he actually looked kind of good. He actually didn't do, yeah, he didn't do too bad. What was it, 20, uh, 16 of 37, 222, uh, had a touchdown, you know, decent stuff um, against a really good opponent on the road. Like For sure, for sure. And Jacob Cowing had another great showing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this, this Jacob Cowing thing, I think we might have to take, them, him, take him seriously. Like, yeah. this, is a, this is a trend, you know, and, and that's kind of what you were hoping to see, I think, is, you know, I mean, obviously Kyle Loxley's a senior. He's always been inconsistent as a passer. I mean, he started 0 for 4, and they just kind of – pulled him out and decided enough was enough. And mm-hmm. there was talk that we could see Hardison over the next few weeks, especially now that he's officially a redshirt kid. Cause, cause I want to say he had four years to play three. He, he's coming in now. Um, he's going to be a redshirt sophomore next year after mm-hmm. this redshirt season. But yeah, I mean, 222 yards, a touchdown, like obviously 10 points isn't good enough. I mean, but, but I don't think you look at the passing game necessarily and say that was the issue. Yeah. Uh, the real big issue in this game was that UTEP averaged three yards per carry, and and fun fact, <laughs> their leading rusher in this game, punter Mitchell Crawford, he had a twenty six yard hey. punt, <laughs> he had a, a a punt, a fake punt, and mm-hmm. went for twenty six yards, and he was the leading rusher. Now, what I will say is the same thing that I'll say every single week for here on out is that Dion Hankins only had three carries, and he went for nineteen yards. Come on, man, give me some <laughs> Dion Hankins, give it to me, <laughs> but. Uh, but obviously, UTEP has two games left, both against uh, New Mexico State and against Rice. So there will be opportunities. So we'll we'll see what happens with that. But for the moment, UTEP is number 12. Uh, let's talk about this Rice Alice, man. So, yeah, finally. Oh, my gosh. Fi- finally. Because this game was on the road, too, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, yeah, it was at Middle Tennessee State. Yeah. I mean, and, and Middle Tennessee is a lot worse this year, to be clear. But, right. like... They're a team that should handily beat Rice. And, mm-hmm. and you know, Rice, the final score was 31-28. Rice was actually up by quite a bit more 
than that. Like, I know they were up by 10 late in the game and kind of allowed a late touchdown to make things look a little hairy, but, I mean, they played really well, especially on the offensive side of the ball. Yeah, like, I remember uh, you, you and Greg were kind of like, hey, we're on Rice Watch. And I'm like, yeah, sure, I will pay attention in the fourth quarter if they're still, I think, what, what were they up, like 17-7 or 17 nothing at some point? Or it was, they were shutting them out for a good portion of this game, it felt like. Yeah, let me pull that up. So they they went up 17-0 in the second quarter. Yeah. And uh, you guys were like, "Oh my god!" And I'm like, "I uh, wait till the fourth quarter." And to be fair, they all yeah. they tried to give this away. <laughs> yeah, because well, they were up 31-14 at halftime, and then right. Rice did not score again for the rest of the game. Yeah, and it was it was looking really dicey there for a second. Um, yeah, uh, but I mean, cre- God, credit to them. I mean, I, I even when I saw they were up thirty, was it thirty four fourteen? You said right. Thir- uh, yeah, 31-14, sorry, 31-14. Th- yeah, um, 31-14, that's right. They, even when they were up like that, I was like, I, I, I feel like they're going to blow it just because they've done that all year, right? <laughs> yeah. And um, no, credit to them. They hung on even when things seemed to be swinging against them and all the, the ghosts of the season kind of started to come back where it's like, oh, God, here they go. And, you know, this is a team that could have folded and wiltered when Middle Tennessee cut it to a one-score game, and they didn't. They, for you know, sure. They hung on for dear life, but they hung on. Yeah, and the one thing that you say is that um, the thing that they did really well was offense. Like, mm-hmm. the, the last couple of weeks, you know, their rush defense has been pretty good. And it, it was all right again mm-hmm. today, 30 carries for 106 yards for Middle Tennessee. Their pass yeah. defense, still a little bit of a disaster. Mm-hmm. But um, but offensively, I mean, Brad Brosner has kind of been a guy under the radar that I don't think people have talked about enough. Mm-hmm. Um, he's really been their go-to guy along with Austin Walter. Uh, sorry, Austin Trammell, not Austin Walter. <laughs> um you know, but Rosner's kind of been their guy who's sort of broken out, and this was really the game that we finally got to see it happen. Uh, yeah. Eight catches for 130 yards, three touchdowns. I mean, that's as good a line as you'll see. Aston Walter was really great for them. 15 carries, 106 yards, and a touchdown. Mm, like Big touchdown, too. Yeah, th- this was this was a total team effort on offense. Now, again, defensively, they still have a lot of questions, and they still have a lot of work to do, but, um, you know, this is what they were supposed to look like when mm-hmm. – when uh, Mike Bloomgren took over. And and even, I mean, you know, Juma Taviano has been back. He's been kind of their bell cow the last couple of weeks, and he wasn't very successful today. But the fact that they were able to air it out and kind of create some opportunities for themselves meant that, you know, they were able to run him a little bit, and they were able to run down that clock, and they were able to, to kind of pull away this victory. And, and look, when I looked at Rice's schedule, I mean, I don't think that Middle Tennessee was one of the games that I thought was going to be the most winnable on it, right. but, but, you know, I mean, they played well and I think that they deserve a lot of credit for that. For sure. All right. Uh, so these next two teams both lost, but sorry, Texas State's number 10 now. Yeah. They're number 10. No, no, uh, no argument there. Yeah. So they lose 63, 27 to a Troy team. That's probably still going to miss a the bowl. They're, mm-hmm. they're probably going to finish five and seven and they lose by what is that? 36 points. Yeah. I, I mean, what happened there? So, one, they got bad Tyler Vitt. Um, yeah. And bad Tyler Vitt led to, obviously, bad offense, and that put the defense in very bad situations because uh, it was it was the game that we've kind of come to expect, unfortunately, f- from them, which is can't stay on the field, give up bad field position, Troy has short, short field, defense eventually gets tired. But except right. this time... Uh, Texas State's pass defense just was not there. Um, 
Yeah. Caleb Barker was fantastic. 30 of 43, 363, six touchdown passes. I believe that's Yikes. a Troy record. Um, oh, man. And again, like when you're facing an offense like that and you can't sustain anything consistently, like I don't know what you expect, right? Um, Troy was eight of 15 on third downs. They averaged eight yards a pass. Um, again, I mean, we talked about like how it was kind of strength versus strength, which is, you know, with, with their past passing offense versus Texas State's pass defense. I mean, it's obvious like Troy just, that was, it was the better matchup for them. Um, Texas State secondary could not really get anything going. And then of course, when Tyler Vitt is not, is, is the worst version of himself, you know, four picks, um, 29 of 44, a QBR of 20.7. Um, it was, it was just all around disaster and yeah, it wasn't, I don't know. It wasn't, it wasn't enjoyable to watch. Um, it just sucks that this was senior day. So a lot of those experienced guys on defense, that's their last game at home is giving up 63 points to a average Troy team. Um, you know, it just sucks for them. Yeah. Well, and, I mean, the thing that you say, too, is that, I mean, so so obviously you mentioned Tyler Vitt turned the ball over four times. Yeah. So three of them, well, one of them was a pick six, mm-hmm. and then the other three, they scored a touchdown every single time. So that's 28 points off of turnovers. Right. Like, like it's one thing to have that many turnovers, but when, like you mentioned, you're putting your defense in so many bad spots, like, I mean, you obviously aren't, it's, it's too simple to say that they're spotting Troy 28 points. Sure. But, like, but I mean, a Troy, a Troy offense, like, you know, Troy's not very good, but their offense no. is still pumping, pumping right. out yards. Like, that's right. the one thing you can't do is spot them, you know, spot them any yards, spot them any advantage in any way, despite being, you know, uh, just hung, hanging on to five wins. I believe they're just around 500. Um, yeah, they're five know, you, and five right now. Yeah. So, like, you, you know, it, it's because they haven't been putting themselves in those situations why Troy hasn't been capitalizing. And, when you spot them that yards, obviously they're going to capitalize. Caleb Barker's right. a good quarterback. Like, you know, um, yeah. Um, I'm trying to find a drive chart somewhere if I could. Um, but I mean, you know, I, like, like you said, them dropping a 10 does not, I have no quarrel with that because, uh, the team at number nine, even though they lost, uh, still looked better and we can probably move on because I'm not finding a drive chart right now. Yeah. Yeah. No worries. Um, so, so obviously UTSA moves up to number nine. Mm-hmm. Um, look, I think that we're obviously starting oh, to figure out. Real, real quick, yeah. I just found it, yeah, yeah, and, yeah. and it's I just found a drive chart, and it's it's worse than I thought. Okay, <laughs> so uh, Troy, let's see, Troy twenty five, Troy twenty seven. Okay, in the first quarter, Troy. This is going through one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Seven drives in a row, starting with their last drive in the four, in the first quarter. Starting at the Troy 20, 47, starting at the Troy 48, starting at midfield, starting at the Troy 43, starting at the Texas State 47, starting at the Troy 33, starting at the Texas State 48. Dear God. <laughs> that is seven drives in a row, starting at the late first quarter, going all the way into the mid-third quarter. Anyway, go on. UTSA. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, but but just in all seriousness, I mean, it is it is impossible to win that way. Like, yeah, the, we saw obviously a few weeks ago with SMU, who's a really really good football team, that when you let Memphis start at the forty on average, yeah. it's over. Like that's yeah. that's the game. There's nothing that you can really do at that point uh, to to make that more competitive. Yeah. So, so. all right. Well, Tech State down to number ten. Uh, look. 
so with UTSA, again, we're starting to kind of figure out what this team is. And this mm-hmm. team is a team that is way better than the worst teams in football. Right. And nowhere near anybody else. And right? apparently Lowell Narcisse's injury, is it just what he needed to start yeah. the ball really well? <laughs> yeah. So I think he got hurt against AM or was it before AM? I can't I remember exactly. Yeah. So it might have been before. And I mean, he struggled against AM. And then the last two games against Old Dominion, he throws for 240 yards. Mm-hmm. And then this week against Southern Miss, he throws for a career high 325 <laughs> yards. I have no idea what's uh, happening. <laughs> that doesn't make any damn sense <laughs> like what what the hell kind of injury are you suffering to become better at passing now granted i think that southern miss also did a good job of scheming to take away the run you know i mean utsa uh was under three yards per carry for the day but like mm-hmm. still <laughs> what the hell <laughs> i have no idea it was i was just kind of keeping track and like in the first half, I was like, why is this so close? Like, <laughs> I right. remember, uh, let's see, it was 16 to 10 at the half. And I'm just like, is UTSA, are they going to do this? And obviously, you know, Southern Miss is good. And so they pulled away in the second half or the third quarter to be specific. But, I mean, they were getting they were getting big plays, like big pass plays. And um, they finally found something. There was a 51-yard something. pass. There was a 75-yard pass for a touch, both for touchdowns. Like, yeah, that does not happen I mean, Z- on this Zachary team. Franklin's turning into a, a dude for them, like, at receiver. Yeah. Like, it's, this is going to be interesting. And I don't – this is going to be weird to say, but is Frank Wilson kind of saving his job with some of these performances? Here's what I'll say to that. I don't is, say saving, but is, is, it making, is he making the decision harder? If – so so okay, let me let me pull up the schedule real quick. So they have, obviously they had Southern Miss this week. They finish with FAU and Louisiana Tech. So if he wins one of those games, if they go five and six or five and seven, if, if they go five and seven, I think that we can have a conversation. But mm-hmm. the issue that I have, and, and like obviously FAU is a the game. They're not going to beat Louisiana Tech. Louisiana Tech is the best team in Conference USA, but. Mm-hmm. Um, although I think they did lose this week to Marshall, but that's a whole other weird thing. Um, but anyway, I think that if they beat FAU and they look good doing it, mm-hmm. then we can have a conversation. Um, I still think that it's going to be really, really hard for him to save his job because I think that just mentally a little bit, they've started moving on from him. They've started looking at their options. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, again, the thing that we do have to reiterate is that he's in year four. Like, this mm-hmm. is not year two. This is not year three. Like, these are his players. This is his program. And, like, obviously it sucks, the whole Frank Harris situation, and that that didn't really work out. And he's found guys, especially on that offense. I mean, I think that... I think that Jeff Castle has undoubtedly done a pretty good job with this offense this year. It was just phenomenally better than what mm-hmm. Al Borges did last season. But, I mean, still, you know, you're working with a situation where, you know, you're UTSA, you're a team that should be up there with anybody, really, especially when right. you look at the the recruiting class that's starting to be juniors and seniors and you're four and five or whatever, you know, so uh, four and six. So it, it's just tough. I mean, Again, I don't think that we've made any secret that we'd love to see Frank Wilson stick around and save mm-hmm. his job and be successful, but it's just, I mean, again, at the end of the day, you look at the teams that UTSA has beat this season. They have beaten all of the worst teams in college football, right? and they have beaten nobody else. You mm-hmm. know, they've, in fact, <laughs> the, the fun stat is that UTSA, with, with Rice beating Middle Tennessee this weekend, 
That is the first FBS win that any UTSA team that they beat has on their schedule. Oh, man. Because their other wins were <sighs> Incarnate Word, were UTEP, who doesn't have an FBS win, Rice, who picked up their first, and Old Dominion, whose only other win was over Norfolk State. <sighs> like, so, so that's the issue, is that you are in that conversation right now if you're UTSA still. You know, you're in that group. Mm-hmm. Now, you're ahead of that group now, but that's the group that you're with. You're not with even the North Texases, the FAUs that are kind of in the middle. You're, right. you know, you're, you're skating on top of the bad group. And I don't know. Again, and that's why, that's why if you can prove that you are part of that FAU group, because the other thing that you say, too, is that, I mean, like, again, their losses are also to Southern Miss, who's pretty dang good, UAB, who's pretty dang good, UNT, who, I mean, has collapsed for the rest of the year, but, like, at that point, they were playing pretty well. Mm-hmm. You know, he played all right against Army. It's not like they have a horrific loss by any means on the schedule. Like, they've lost to the teams that they're supposed to lose to, but uh, I think still, you know, after year four and, and after some of these performances, if you're, uh, you know, Dr. Campos over at UTSA, you have to sit and look and think, well, you know, what what do we expect ourselves to be, especially after four years of having a head coach? So, yeah. Um, Again, I think if they beat FAU and and do it relatively con, uh, convincingly, I mean, again, if you if you are at UTSA and you don't have the nightmare schedule of Baylor, Army, and Texas A and M, like obviously this is a bold team potentially, and then you're thinking a lot differently about it. But but we've talked about it before. They need these games because they're still trying to establish themselves as a program. So right. it's it's a tough situation for anybody to be in. But again, I mean. You have to beat a team that doesn't suck. That's just the reality of it. And and UTSA just hasn't done that as yet. So uh, moving on to North Texas, they're still at number eight. They had a bye this week. Uh, it's not going to be an easy finish for them. Um, next up, Houston, another strong performance against a really good team, 45-27 against this Memphis. This game played exactly how I thought it would. <laughs> yeah. I remember uh, looking at the score um, – this one was the early slate, right? Uh, early that midday. Right. Yeah, let me let me double check. Because I remember yeah. looking over this game. I was watching another one, and I think it was midday. Yeah, probably like the two, one of the two o'clock games. Um Because yeah. I was looking, it was like, oh wow, seventeen seven Houston at the end of the first quarter. I was like, that's not going to hold. And um, <laughs> right. And then sure enough, Memphis scores twenty one points in the second quarter, and like, but again. Like that was the script that we had, right? It was like exactly they're gonna look good, they're gonna probably punch above their weight, and then depth and you know talent. Obviously, Memphis is probably the best group of five team out there right now in the country. Um, is gonna win out eventually, but it's not gonna be necessarily to the detriment of Houston. Um, Absolutely, they. I mean, I don't know. They look good. They they those. <laughs> it, it was the script I thought, and that should be a benefit to Houston because I thought that they were good enough to make it a game for a quarter or two. Yeah, and again, I mean, <laughs> look, Houston's still fighting, man. Like, right. they are 3-7. and seven. They're going to probably finish what? Uh, they've got Tulsa this week, and that's, I mean, that's going to be kind of interesting. Or, uh, yeah, Tulsa this week. That's mm-hmm. going to be kind of a weird game. Then they finish with Navy. Like, you know, they're probably at best a four-win team, but right. this team just keeps fighting, man. And, and look, if you had told me when Derek King decided to sit and when Keith Corbin decided to sit that this team would be sitting here right now and still, like, giving people hell and mm-hmm. giving people a hard time. Because, like, the other thing that you say is 
okay, look, look at the score, right? I mean, if if Memphis doesn't score a touchdown with 19 seconds left in the first half, this is yeah. a 21-20 game at halftime, right? right? And, like, like Houston probably still loses the game, but, like, we're talking about it very differently if that's the case. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Because Memphis was able to capitalize and score 14 straight points in the third quarter and make it a 22-point ball game, but, like, the game was pretty close, yeah. you know? <laughs> and, and, uh, I'll say, and that's, I mean, they did, they did as good. I mean, they did as good a job as anybody against Kenneth Gainwell. Like, yeah, <laughs> I yeah, mean, he's, sure. he's insane, but you know, no, no one's stopping him this year. So, you know, sure. 90, 99 yards on seven carries. Sure. Like, <laughs> yeah. I mean, they kept it out of his hands uh, pretty well. Or 17 carries. Sorry. I realized that's seven. Yeah. 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 And so, I mean, but they, they kind of prevented him from being just a total game breaker. And I mean, look, I think that regardless of the record, I, and I mean, again, we, we have no reason to believe at this point that Derek King's going to leave. We have no reason to believe he's going to come back. You know, we mm-hmm. just don't know with that. But but when you decide to sit some guys down and say, wait till next year, yeah. this is what you're looking for. You know, you're right. looking for these strong performances. Um, you're and, looking and for teams you, that don't fold, right? Like, yeah. nothing, in none of these games that they've lost, I've, I've never thought, wow, they quit, not on, Dana, they quit on the season. Like Not, not once. And so, uh, and the other thing too, man, is that Clayton Toon, his numbers aren't going to be great, but that dude's just a gamer, you mm-hmm. know? <laughs> like, uh, he had 157 yards through the air and a touchdown, plus 65 on the ground and a touchdown. Like, that's just what he does, man. He, he's just a gamer. And, um, and again, he's still learning how to be a good football player. I mm-hmm. think that that's sort of the thing he's still figuring out. But, like, in fact, I – well, we'll get to the to another player in a second that I think he's pretty similar to, but – but, you know, I think that there's a lot of similarities between what Clayton Toon is doing and what Max Duggan is doing, you know, where sure. they're just kind of figuring it out as they go. And, like, neither of them really probably should be playing at this point. Mm-hmm. But, like, you just see why both staffs are so high on them. They're just guys who go out there and make the right play and, and are still trying to figure out what they can get away with. But, I mean, they, I think both have the potential in a couple of years to be really special. So, uh Okay, so <laughs> these two teams are back-to-back, TCU and Texas Tech. Uh, obviously, Texas Tech at number six, TCU at number five. I don't—did you watch the end of this game? The end of it? No. I started—I was watching most of it for the—during the first three quarters, though. So, so TCU obviously just runs away in the first yeah. half, right? Like, just absolutely runs away. And it looks like it's about to be a freaking bloodbath. It was, it was looking really bad. And then, I mean, same deal, man. Just Tech just kept playing, and Tech just kept fighting. And I, I, I so I had my eye on this game, obviously, all day. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, through that third quarter, they just start letting Duffy unleash it down the field. They go and take a 28-27 lead after, I, I mean, TCU led 24-3, right? Right. Like, Hell, man, I, I don't know. Maybe they should have, uh, <laughs> well, I guess we'll get to this later. Maybe they should have just let uh, TCU get that first touchdown instead of selling for a field goal so they could have gotten the 28-3 to and then they would have won. But, <laughs> but, um, but you know, they take a 28-27 lead in the third quarter and then they pull ahead 31-30 and they have a chance to go and win this football game. Mm-hmm. And then on the first play of what could have been a game-winning drive, McLean Mannix fumbles. Like, the first play. It just flies out. It's... And, man, th- that's just how the season has gone for Tech, man. Like, it's yeah. it's insane. They, You look at this team, right? I think that 
I, I think that we can all say that if Tech right now, where they're at right now, could play Arizona, I think that they're way better than them, right? Like, mm-hmm. like I think that if they could play that game 10 times, I think they win 7 out of 10 times. And right. then you talk about what happens with that Baylor situation, right? Like, obviously, <laughs> Tech fans rightfully so feel like they should have won that game. Mm-hmm. And then the Kansas situation, Douglas Coleman, man, if he, if he doesn't try to pitch the ball, they maybe win that game. And then now here, if if McLean Mannix doesn't uh, doesn't fumble the ball in that first drive and have a chance to go down and kick a game winning field goal or a touchdown, man, like that's three games, you know? That's that's yeah. or that's four games. Sorry, that's four games. I mean, obviously this team was never necessarily ready to win all of those games. Like they're playing above their head to be in these positions, but like, man, this is one of those teams that when they come back next year and they have a little more depth, and they had a couple more transfers, and they mm-hmm. you know, they developed their guys just a little bit more. Man, this team is so damn close. <laughs> like, it's so damn close. A lot so closer than close. I think a lot of people gave them credit for being. Oh, um, I, I because, will. I mean, definitely oh, raised my hand. Right? Yeah, I was about to tell you, no, we're, we're not excluded from that. No. Um, because, you know, we thought Matt Wells was coming in. We thought, okay, give him a couple years, right? It's not going to be for like, sure. they're not going to the triple option, right? They're still running a, a, right. a, a vertical or a, a vertical exciting offense, but it is a change of what they've been used to. And, okay, give him a couple years. Turns out, I mean, you can solve a lot with just... One, if your coordinators know what they're doing, and For sure. if you have good quarterback play, which is what they've gotten this year um, from both their quarterbacks. And so, <laughs> yeah, like, again, after the first quarter, after the really the first half, I was like, all right, I really don't need to watch this anymore. I felt like I didn't need to watch it anymore. <laughs> right, right, um, right, right. Because anytime Max Duggan can get 300 yards on you, you feel like TCU is going to just romp. Um, right. <laughs> and... You know, t- credit to Tech, man. They were right there. Unfortunately, now, I mean, they're not out of a bowl picture, obviously, but um, to, in, in my harder. mind, they're out. In my mind, they're out. And and right, actually, yes, they're underdogs in the two weeks. But you know, and, I'm I've actually got a, I've got a story coming out this week, hopefully, um, on why I think these last two games could be kind of tough. And um, and just you know, a, a little bit inside of that, I think that right now is when that lack of depth is going to start really coming out mm-hmm. because. You know, you lose Jordan Brooks this past week. Yeah, you know, I was, hopefully I mean, he's God, hopefully, hopefully he's, he's back. Okay, but but I mean, they're really shallow at linebacker. Mm-hmm. And you know, I mean, you're starting to lose a couple of running backs. You're starting to get dinged up on the offensive line. You're starting to get dinged up in the secondary. And this is what's going to happen, man. Like they're just going to start having to throw guys out there who aren't ready to play football out there. And mm-hmm. um, you know, that was always the biggest issue that we worried about. With this, when Cliff Kingsbury left, was that the roster that he left was so shallow, right. like it just was, and um, and I think that Wells and his staff, uh, I got to talk to them a little bit a couple weeks ago about it. I think that they're doing a good job of understanding that and trying to react to that, and that's why you see the grad transfers, that's why you see the transfers, like that's a big part of it. But I think that right now at this moment, uh, I think that. I, I think that they're going to keep playing hard because that's what they do and they are a good football team. Mm-hmm. But I, I think that it's going to be pretty tough, I think, the next two weeks, just as this team keeps getting more and more dinged up. Because, look, the difference between Oklahoma and everybody else isn't just that they're so much better. I mean, they are in a lot of cases, but like it's also just that once you get to the second line, once you get to the third line, that's where Oklahoma keeps throwing five stars and four stars at you. And, right. and I think that's 
you know, I think we even saw it against Baylor yesterday. You know, I mean, I think that's, that, that's where Baylor's throwing out, you know, freshmen and sophomores, and Oklahoma's throwing out Theo Weiss and Jaden Hazelwood. You know, mm-hmm. like, that, that's the difference between some of these uh, situations. But um, just to, talk, to touch on TCU for a second, I mean, look, I think that, uh, I think that Sonny Cumbie's showing a little things right now I yeah mean, I, think... I mean tcu like that first half especially they just they yeah. controlled every aspect of that game uh right they were let me see they were they were 15 of 24 on third down conversions like they had 24 attempts at third. like they were on the field so long uh they had 43 minutes of possession compared oh, to God. 16 <laughs> right exactly ridiculous. like they were oh, insane at just smothering tech which makes that second right. half all the more impressive because tech just took advantage of what little they had um to make it a game but golly that was like that offense was really really impressive and it wasn't it wasn't explosive they were just suffocating the life out of that game right well and and when you look at tech like and this is not a knock against how tech played or anything mm-hmm. like that but like the way that they were able to get back into the game was Jet Duffy started throwing a bunch of jump balls right. to uh, to you know to really good receivers. They've mm-hmm. got really good receivers, and TCU's defensive backs this year. I mean, they're not yeah. as good as usual, you yeah. know. So, and Tech was just able to win that receiver matchup, and and like credit to them, they did it. They did the thing, but um, but you know, just as an overall offensive game plan, man, like tcu finished with 549 yards 323 through the air 226 on the ground like Mm -hmm. this i mean look maybe people are ready to move on from sunny Cumbie. it sounded like gary patterson last week when we got a chance to talk to him about it might think that that's a little overstated i mean maybe maybe he thought that you know he doesn't want to move on as yet but um i think that he's making a pretty good case for why you shouldn't overreact right no i agree i mean like we've seen where max duggan was in the beginning yeah. of the season to where he no, is he's now clearly getting better going through i'm, I'm going through his uh qbr from beginning of october so yeah. uh october 5th 56 uh, against iowa state the 19th 84.7 against kansas state 81.1 against texas 71 against oklahoma state 33.3 against against Baylor. Surprise, Baylor's a good defense. And 74.4 against Tech. For sure. And like, he's... And compared to... compared to um, And if, actually, I'll go one week before that. 99 against Kansas. And then prior to that, 35 against SMU, 20 against Purdue, and then 82 against Pine Bluff. Sure, I, fine. But, like, he was playing terribly. And guess what? He's a good... He, when you're letting him... When you're letting your guy take licks... See what FBS teams look like. See the find his own skill set, right? Because we didn't think he was a dual threat quarterback until you know the Kansas State game. I think when he had over 100 yards rushing. Um, finding his own skill set, letting Sonny Cumbie learn what his skill set is. Guess what? <laughs> Good things happen. Right, and I mean, the other thing that you say too is just like his his uh, QBR against Iowa State wasn't bad, but. He was bad, you know? I mean, like, yeah. even just objectively kind of looking at it, right? right like, I mean, right. he he was not good against SMU. He was not good against Iowa State. He was kind of unplayable at times in both those games. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, there was, State, a reason, there was a reason, like, looking back on it now, the fact that they had to choose between him and Alex Delton seems crazy, but it was a legitimate <laughs> thing at the time. Like, we're like, well, we, they don't know what they have in either, in either of these guys. Right. Well, and, and I think that the thing is, too, is that since they have realized that you know, he's a runner. And I think that they started yeah. to realize that in the second half against Iowa State. Um, I think that 
like a lot of players, I think he's a rhythm player. And, you know, you have to get him moving and you have to get him, you know, doing things that he's comfortable doing. And that includes running the football because I think that you look at, uh, I mean, he he had carries for sure against both Mm -hmm. Purdue and SMU, but they weren't kind of real impact carries. Right. Uh, But then starting with Iowa State, you go 10 carries, 13 carries, 13 carries, 16 carries, 14 carries, 18 carries. And like, that's been sort of the key to unlocking him is, you know, when teams have to account for his running ability, then it opens up the game for his passing ability because he's still, he's a good passer. He's growing a lot as a passer, but I think that he's also just being used better. Mm -hmm. And I think that's been one of the biggest differences between, uh, between him early this year and where he is now. Agreed. So uh, moving on to number four, uh, this team actually falls to number four uh, behind number three for, I think, the first time basically this season, the Texas Longhorns. They lost 23-21 to Iowa State, and boy, Orange Bloods is on fire. Oh, man. Do you have that bookmark like I do, like I do after every <laughs> loss? Um, I'm going to say that somebody sent me the uh, screenshots and not uh, not answer your question. <laughs> oh, man. Um <laughs> Boy, uh, well, first, I'm going to answer this as someone who acknowledges that Texas just is okay this season. Yeah. Uh, this felt right. <laughs> um, yeah. This was the exact result I kind of thought would happen. Now, granted, I thought the offense would look a little better, um, play calling-wise, and we can get into that in a bit, but this is what happens when you're on the level of Iowa State, and Iowa State might be a little, like, a, a slight peg ahead of you, like... This is where Texas is this year, right? We uh, People kind of shrugged at that, or kind of rolled their eyes at that uh, underdog line when Texas is ranked. It probably shouldn't be. Um, but guess what? Iowa State's better. Like, <laughs> right now, this season, they're more experienced. They, they have the better playmakers. It's just, I don't know. People can be mad. They can, you know, throw their arms up, say fire someone on the coaching staff. But, like... This is what happens when Texas State is, or Texas is probably a seven and five, uh, seven and five team, <laughs> right? Well, here's my—I I don't want to say—I I don't even know what the right word for this. Here's my kind of amusement with the whole mm-hmm. situation right now: is that if you want to have a little bit of a meltdown after losing to TCU, right? I get it. Sure, like that's perfectly reasonable. Mm-hmm. Um, but like. I, like you said, Iowa State's a good football team, and they're a team that's really good at home. They're a team that hates Texas, by the way, because right. <laughs> they continuously get screwed against the University of Texas. Um, and, like, I mean, the funny thing, too, is that I actually think that the defense played pretty well. They were. They were pretty okay. <laughs> like, it wasn't and, their fault this week. No, I, and I'll tell you whose fault it was. And I mean, fault, you know, whatever. I mean, that's, that's a strong word, but... Yeah. Texas averaged 2.1 yards per carry. Yeah. That's... Offensive line was not good. That's really bad. Like, <laughs> it's really, really bad. I'll and tell you, I mean, I'll tell you this much. It did not look like... Um, it looked like Tom Herman was afraid to test this Iowa, defense, Iowa State defense. Yeah. Like, they... Every throw was a screen or something intermediate... Or not even intermediate. You know, something short. And... I mean, it was basically, it felt like they were just like, hey, Devin DuVernay, save us, right? Break a tackle and go off these screens and try to break something out. Um, It didn't, I don't know, did they test this defense once? 
I guess one, uh, John Burt had a uh, pass he should have caught, right? There was, there was one streaking right. pass that he had that he just kind of dropped. But that that's the only thing I can remember where it was like, oh, there's a downfield pass. <laughs> well, the, the Eagles touchdown was definitely... No, that's true. Okay, yes. Yeah, but, but, I mean, they didn't do it enough. They right. definitely didn't do they it didn't enough. They didn't keep them honest. Right. And, and the thing is, too, is like... And I was talking about this with some of my friends. Like, obviously, Sam Ellinger had a lot of expectations coming into the year. Mm-hmm. I think he's been pretty damn good this year. Yeah. And, and like, well, I think the thing you say for absolute certain is that Sam Ellinger's effort has been far stronger than a 7-5 and five team. You know? And, oh, God, yeah. And if you told me coming into the year that Ellinger would grow in almost every way imaginable. And, mm-hmm. and look, I mean, I, I think saying live up to the hype. I mean, the hype was Heisman level. I mean, that's right. obviously, was always ridiculous for this season. In well, my I'll opinion. say this much. If Texas was, if this was a 10-win Texas team, he yeah. would be not far out of that conversation. I'm for not sure, saying he's a Heisman sure. candidate, but he would be in that, like, you know, top 10 discussion. Well, and, I, and when I say that, I think that the reason that I felt like the Heisman stuff was ridiculous was because... Texas had to turn over so much on their roster, and I just right. didn't see the the continuation that I think people kind of assumed after, mm-hmm. especially, I mean, I, <laughs> I'll tell you what, uh, obviously, it's a great moment, and it's a big moment, and it's going to help, it helped in recruiting, and all that sort of stuff, but man, I wonder whether <laughs> at this moment, and, and there's plenty of time to turn around, there's no reason to believe that the program's in any sort of trouble, but mm-hmm. if you're Tom Herman, is the Sugar Bowl the worst thing that ever happened to you? Yes, absolutely. Like, we have to... Uh, credit to Stephen Godfrey and Podcast Ain't Played Nobody, who basically yeah. hammered this home. Bowl games are the worst data point to use. The absolute worst. Yes, we love to make fun of the SEC, because whenever they lose in bowl games, it's because they didn't care. But guess what? It's legitimately possible that Georgia did not care about that game. <laughs> right. Well, like, I, think that there's, I think that there's varying levels, right? Like, I think that, yes. I think that I'm not as strongly on that train as godfrey is but at the same time like i think you're still looking we, at with georgia specifically right like, did, did they did they give 100 percent and prepare for texas like they would have prepared for bama no and no absolutely not and you know this is a team that feels like they deserve to be in the playoff and now <laughs> the thing i said last year the thing i still believe today is that Man, George, I don't know. You're you're acting a lot like Bama without a whole lot of Bama stuff. You know, I, I mean, know, like, right. <laughs> like a lot of pedi- like you, without the pedigree. Right, right, right. Like, I mean, that's the flip side of it. Of like, hey, man, you know, you you have one Sugar Bowl win, like this this millennium. I want to say, like, it's right. it's you know, it's not like you're talking about a team that's just been there and done that, right? Mm. Like, like you know, the the Alabama Oklahoma thing from twenty. 13 or 14 or whatever like mm-hmm. you know that makes sense it's like oh well you know i mean alabama's a team that's won every single title and all that sort of stuff right uh you know georgia may- maybe you shouldn't uh <laughs> you know right. they, yeah they, they don't get to claim that right away right 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 but, but i mean still like, going, going off of that like right. i mean even coming off of that win like Yes, it is the worst thing to happen because obviously that set the illusion that, you know, okay, growth is going to be exponential now, right? Right. It's going to go from here and we're going to go up. 
And we're going to ignore the fact that we're replacing the meat of our defense basically in its entirety. We're going to be playing kids. We're going to probably be playing kids who are injury prone in some cases, uh, relying on a safety who could not stay healthy in his freshman year uh, to basically support this entire defense. Um, we're going to be relying on Malcolm Roach and Keandre Coburn to be basically the entirety of our front seven. <laughs> um, we're going to be that that win did not take into account all of that. And right. now, you know, now they are where they are. And, um, yeah, I don't know. People are upset. Rightfully so. I mean, it sucks to lose, right? I'm not, I'm not oh, saying sure. like, I'm not saying like, you know, get over yourselves, blah, 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 blah. I'm saying like, this season was always going to be eight to seven to eight wins. Right. Well, and I think <laughs> if you're a Texas fan, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, and, and it's the same if you're an Oklahoma fan, except, you know, Oklahoma's done it more. But like, you know, if you're Texas, like, you are per se the one percent of the Big Twelve, right? Like sure. you are the uh, you are the one born into privilege. You're the one who you know can go and buy whatever they want. Like mm-hmm. I get that part of it, and like you know what? As a program, I, in a big picture program wise perspective, there's no reason why Oklahoma and Texas every single dang year is not number one and number two in the conference in some order. Like I get that when right. you're talking from a big picture program perspective, but like. I think that we can all be honest that, that, you know, that hasn't been where the program has been in literally a decade. So, right. you know, like, I don't know. I mean, it's it's easy to look and be like, well, we won 10 last year. Why aren't we lit winning more this year? Um, mm-hmm. But, but like, you know, and, and actually, let's go ahead and move on to number three, Texas A&M. Well, I just um, want to say one more thing. I just want to say yeah. one more thing where it's like, yeah. y- yes, everybody, the hot thing in college football is when things aren't going the way you want, you know, fire everybody, right? Uh, start over, right? eventually that just stops working, right? Because one, the big question is, who do you go get that you know is going to make things instantly better, right? right? Um, Or better than where Texas probably is set up to be in 2020 um, under Tom Herman. And like, You've tried that already. You've tr- Mac Brown's last year. Tr- fire everybody, right? They br- <laughs> right. okay. Fine, we'll get rid of Mac Brown then. He was the problem. Is staying too long. Okay, bring in Charlie Strong. All right, well Charlie Strong, you got to make some changes on the staff. Like we've they've tried firing everyone. Hey, let's just let things play out. <laughs> See right. where they go. The wheels are not off the bus yet. No, Guess what? they're gonna be going to the Texas Bowl. Guess what? You're not that far off from missing a bowl, right? Just remember right. exactly where this team was. Let things play out. Let a full recruiting cycle go through. If Tom Herman goes five and seven, six and six next year, okay, let's have that conversation. Right. And the thing that I will say and I will repeat, and I understand why fans aren't going to think this way and why boosters aren't going to think this way because that's not their job. But right. Todd Orlando carried this team for two years. For two years. Right. He is the reason they made a bowl game that first year. Mm-hmm. He's the reason they were in the Big 12 title game, won uh, the Sugar Bowl, and, and uh, you know, won 10 games last year. He is the reason. Mm-hmm. Right? And, like, all of a sudden, because Ellinger's taking this step and because the offense is further along now, mm-hmm. all of a sudden everybody's fine with Tim Beck again because, yeah. you know, the offense is ready. And, and actually, I mean you know, I'll, I'll get to the whole Baylor thing in a second, but you know, like people are doing the same thing with that where everybody wanted Phil snow gone the first two years. Now he's a genius. And, mm-hmm. and everybody wants Jeff Nixon gone, even though the offense was better the first two years, you know, like mm-hmm. it's, it, that's just not how it works. And in like, <laughs> ultimately it is a mix. You have to have the personnel and you have to have the coaching. And la- you know, last year defensively, they had more of the personnel because they were older on that side of the ball. And on offense this year, they're older on that side of the ball and much younger on defense. Mm-hmm. And you know what's going to happen if they bring everybody back 
Uh, in two years, the defense is going to be a bunch of seniors, and the offense is going to be starting over without Sam Ellinger, and everybody's going to freak out on the offense again. Like, I can tell you right now, that's <laughs> yep. what's going to happen. And it's just, it, I'm always somebody who takes a big picture perspective, but also, like, that's one of the uh, that's one of the things about coaching at a school like Texas or Oklahoma or Ohio State or Alabama or, or USC. Like, when something doesn't work, you better make a change or you're going to be out. And, yep. and... Uh, in a lot of ways, that's why Texas can't find consistency. That's why Nebraska can't find consistency. That's why, you know, I, I mean, even like Michigan for a long time, you know, and I think Harbaugh has kind of fixed some of that, but that's why they couldn't find consistency. And like, at some point you have to commit to something. And, yep. and again, this team won 10 games last year. Clearly this coaching staff is pretty dang good. So mm-hmm. I don't know, whatever. I, we don't need to go on that rant every single week. But, <laughs> but Calm um, down. <laughs> ugh, ugh. Well, again, I I will jump in and say, uh, you know, before we get to to the top two, now I, I'm absolutely thrilled that I don't have to care about the playoff ranking. So now I need something else to get mad about. So <laughs> this apparently will be it. There you go. All right, all right, all right. Number three, Texas and Dem. Um, the biggest thing that I say about their game, right? They won thirty to six over South Carolina, and mm-hmm. the game was ugly because that's what South Carolina does. They make mm-hmm. everything ugly. They make you feel bad about yourself, and you dominate them. <laughs> like, they make you feel. They make you feel terrible that you spend time watching the game. Right, right. I mean, that's just their deal, right? It's it's like right. playing K State in the Big Twelve. Like that's right. that's just their deal. Is they're gonna except make somehow we're the more unwatchable offense. <laughs> God, God, it's just <laughs> it's just unbelievable. But anyway, uh, thirty six win. Here's the biggest takeaway from this game, is that South Carolina has a pretty good rush defense. And A&M rushed the ball so well. Yeah. <laughs> they and, looked really and, good. And the funny thing is, right, like, it, it was definitely a lot of offensive line, you know, uh, doing a better job run blocking. But it was mm-hmm. also a lot of just the running backs doing a good job. You yeah. know, like like Isaiah Spiller, 24 carries, 129 yards. And, like, Cordarian Richardson... He had a couple breakaways, right? Like, he had a 75-yard breakaway. That's a big part of his 130 yards and a touchdown. But, like, they rushed for 319 yards as a team. Yeah. That's the sort of thing that you have to do to win SEC games. Mm-hmm. you got to be able to line up no, uh, front seven against, you know, your offensive line and just be able to move the line of scrimmage. And, granted, let's go to the other side of the ball, too. South Carolina could not do anything. I know they're going to say oh, 12, only 12 rushes. That's because AM wasn't allowing them to get anything on those 12 rushes. Right. Like, or right. 17 rushes, sorry. 17, um, yeah. But, yeah, like they weren't allowing anything, and that was impressive. So that South Carolina had to throw the ball, and guess what? South Carolina's not good at throwing the ball either. <laughs> like, right. it, it just played right into their hands. I mean, God, AM's front seven has not looked this good all year, and... Jeez, like that was that was really impressive. I mean, Anna was favored right at home. South Carolina's kind of sputtering right now, but still, you know, you want to see them be able to take advantage of those matchups, and they did, and they looked really good. Yeah, yeah, no question. And I mean, if you're AM right now, like you've seen these running backs develop, you know, Cordarian Richardson, Isaiah Spiller, these are two guys that you feel like you can rely on a little bit heading forward. Mm-hmm. And and I actually think that um, one of the more underrated developments like he led the team in, in pa- catches this week but Jalen Wittermeyer looks pretty dang good at tight end like that's somebody who you needed to step up because yep. that that had been a big issue earlier this year um I'm uh Baylor Cup you know when he went yes. out before the year that was something a that I think that they've loss. struggled to deal with right, right. and 
Um, and obviously, you know, I don't think that they necessarily plan to lose. I'm playing on the uh, Sternberger, the Jay Sternberger mm-hmm. to the NFL either. You know, right. I mean, I don't think that they planned for that when they were planning their offense for this year. And um, and finally now, you know, Wittermeyer is doing a good job of blocking so far, and he's doing a better job too of of becoming a receiving target. And I think we saw last year that when they have a tight end that can be versatile and can both block and catch passes, this mm-hmm. is a very different offense. This is, I think in a lot of ways, the key of Texas A&M's offense is to have a tight end like that. And and obviously, when you start looking to 2020, 2021 as well, like having Baylor Cup there, who was, you know, maybe the best tight end in the country in this recruiting class, like when you have him come back in, things are going to be a lot better too, I think. But but now that you're seeing Wittermeyer start to step up and, and block at a high level and clear some lanes and also go out and catch passes, I think mm-hmm. that's going to have a real impact on the direction of this offense, even just for the next three games. Oh, for sure. For sure. And like, I mean, and you, if you're A&M, you might want to, or at least an A&M fan, you might want to start looking to 2020 because 2019 is not going to close out the way you want it to. <laughs> Well, I'll tell you what, though. You know, I mean, there. Yes, absolutely. where are we going with this? Because I know you're not going to try to give them a shot against these two teams. Well, no, no. I mean, they're going to lose these two games. They're going to finish seven and five in the regular season, and there's nothing wrong with that. All yeah. five losses will come against top fifteen teams. It's the there's teams that we, wrong. yeah, it's the teams that we thought. I guess Sands right. Auburn, which is better than we thought they were going to be, but right. other than that, all the losses were expected. Well, what I'm going to say is just that you have nothing to lose in these games, right? Like you mm-hmm. have. There is no negative that can be taken from these games, right? Like, if you prove that you can run a little bit against Georgia, even if you lose by 30, right? Mm -hmm. Like, that's a big deal. That's something that you can take forward. These are measuring stick games, and you're not going to win them, right? Like, you're just not going to. Uh, Mm -hmm. But at the same time, whatever you can show against these teams are things that you can kind of say— all right, we can do these against the best teams in college football. We can pass block against the better teams in college football. We can run against better teams in college football. You know, and I, for example, uh, we talked about it, but like if their front seven plays well and they yeah. are able to limit the run a little bit, especially against Georgia, that's something that you take forward. Like, by the way, I mean, speaking on that, um, LSU's defense does not look very good right now. <laughs> right, right. Um, so that's something that yeah, that's something that could be potentially you could take advantage of against them so yeah no i see what you mean there um from these next two weeks some type of advantage or some type of success against whether it's georgia's front seven or being able to keep pace with lsu for a bit um you gotta start looking at that yeah 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 and so ultimately i mean a&m has finished the part of their schedule that has expectations in my mind now Mm -hmm. obviously again like a fan is going to watch it differently than I am. That's, you know, where <laughs> we have different roles in this. But, like, at the end of the day, the thing that you say about A&M, too, is that, yeah, maybe that Ole Miss game was a little too close. But, mm-hmm. like, they handled every game on their schedule that they were supposed to. Yep. And and that's something eh, that they have struggled with. Arkansas in there. but Yeah, yeah. Okay, Ole Miss and Arkansas. But yeah. at the end of the day, they won every single game that they were supposed to. And, right. um, and you know, that's been an issue, I think, in previous years for A&M teams. And, like, and again, I mean, even even I think if you could have AM right now potentially line up again with Auburn, I think that it's a slightly closer game. You know, I mean, I think that there's been growth throughout the season. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, look, again, there's two weeks left. Go out there, pin your ears back, just do whatever the hell you want to do. Yep. You're 7-3 and three right now, and it's not going to get any worse than 7-3, and three, right? Like, I mean, at the end of the day, you have seven wins, and it's house money now. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, SMU was on a bye. They're still number two. Uh, 
And look, I mean, I, I don't think that's, I think these two teams at the top obviously are still just head and shoulders above everybody else. And, and yep. obviously that includes number one Baylor. Um, okay. So I'm going to ask you first, what were sort of your takeaways from what happened on Saturday? Oh, so I have two. So one on Oklahoma, one on Baylor. Uh, okay. I'll start with Oklahoma. To me, it looked like Oklahoma, this, which is really weird for a Lincoln Riley team. It looked like they needed an entire half to realize they didn't have CD lamb. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because some of the throws they were making was like, why are you throwing that? A lot of the receivers couldn't get off coverage, which is credit to Baylor's secondary. Um, couldn't get off their assignments, so Jalen Hurts was throwing at a lot of guys who were blanketed. Um, they were taking a lot of shots deep or, again, no separation or just I would not trust. You know, no offense to Rambo. Rambo's a good receiver. Uh, Weiss is going to be good. But, like, those are the guys that they were – Again, it just looked like they didn't know that CD Lamb wasn't playing. Um, right. And then for Baylor, that first half, yes, the offense looked, or the offensive line, I should say specifically, looked really good, imposed their will. But I think you kind of saw in the second half, especially, the fact that the offense is just not nearly at the level of the defense. And that's, that sounds obvious, but I went back and looked at the drive charts and only one Baylor touch, only one Baylor drive or sorry, one Baylor touchdown came from a drive that wasn't basically at the 40, the Baylor 40. And that's credit to the defense for setting up the offense that way, but it showed that, okay, this isn't the methodical uh, at least against teams like Oklahoma, which, you know, it can match up with them. They're not the methodical game control unit that they want to be right now at that level, right at the top level against the top teams. They're not there yet. Uh, they did need they did need the defense to set up a lot of those drives in the first half, and it showed when they basically had the ball for, what, 15 minutes or less than that in the second half? Yeah, it, uh, no, it was it was like five minutes. It was five minutes, yeah. God, it was way less than that. So, yeah, it looked like th- those are the two takeaways for me was that finally Oklahoma in the second half was like, oh, yeah, by the way, we don't have that game breaker. Let's run with Jalen Hurts. Let's run with Kennedy Brooks. Um, let's get these short routes going and finally get these guys in space, set up the intermediate to, uh, game, and really stop trying to throw deep because, again, they didn't have CeeDee Lamb, so why are you trying to throw deep? Um and that, you know, eventually it just, when Baylor can't sustain drives, that's what, that's what happens. Um, unfortunately, obviously you don't want 28 to three to fall away into dust, <laughs> but, um, you know, I, I think that uh, those are, those are my takeaways. I'll end it there. You were there at the game. What are your thoughts? Yeah. Well, I, I think the first thing that you say is that, I mean, if you are somebody who has not watched a lot of Baylor and has been waiting for Baylor to have sort of their moments against a top team, mm-hmm. I think that Baylor clearly proved that they are at that level, you mm-hmm. know, that they are a top 15 type program, that mm-hmm. they are a legit, you know, we can put them in a New Year's Six Bowl and feel good about them program. Right. Um, you know, and and I think the thing that you say with that too is like, man, I understand that the defense had some trouble getting off the field for a variety of reasons in the second half, but mm-hmm. man, they held them to five and a half yards per play. Yeah. That's that's pretty ridiculous. And yeah. I know that they don't have CD Lamb, but man, <laughs> they don't have CD Lamb. They're just like, here's Theo Weiss, here's Jaden Hazelwood. You know, like <laughs> they have these ridiculous players still. Like it's not like they were short of receivers by any means. So like yeah. um 
you know, but they still did a good job of, of holding them underwater. I think they did a, actually, I know the numbers look good or whatever, which has kind of been a, a theme with this player, but like, I think that they really made Jalen Hurts struggle at times mm-hmm. and, and nobody's, I don't think, especially in that first half has managed to do it to that extent. Um, now again, the second half still counts too. So like, you know, <laughs> those all count, but like, yeah. um, you know, I mean, they, they kind of turned Jalen Hurts into, you know, a Mike Leach air raid quarterback in a lot of ways. Like yeah. they, they turned it into a, I can only throw the ball four yards down the field because I have no ability to do anything else. And like, I mean, look, the reason that Baylor ended up struggling is because they had trouble tackling five-star receivers in space with one guy there. You know, mm-hmm. like that's that's kind of where they ended up having trouble on defense. But I think the big takeaway from this game is that, holy wow, Baylor's defense is super legit. Um, you know, especially when, again, when, when you start getting to 95 plays, like I don't right. think that there's hardly anybody in football that can, you know, keep up for that level. Um, when it comes to the offense... I know that it was a decision, and I know that it was based on what Oklahoma had shown and how much faith they had in their offensive line, but their running backs combined had a combined six carries. Mm-hmm. That's kind of wild. You know, yeah, the, it's, Michael I mean, in, the first, in the first half, it was Charlie Brewer that was basically you know, right. on broken plays. or I don't know. Some of them were designed. But no, like a for, lot were designed. A lot yeah. were designed. Yeah. And, um, and that was actually something that they went away from a little bit in the second half. And part mm-hmm. of that is because, um, you know, Oklahoma – the first two times that they ran it out in the second half adjusted and, and found him, right? Like, so yeah. they kind of had figured that out. Um, I'm surprised that they didn't run a little bit more zone read with, you know, a little bit more running back option because a lot of the the run stuff that they were doing was draws, you know, mm-hmm. was, was delayed draws with Charlie Brewer. And that was working uh, in a big way in that first half. And actually, you mentioned that sustained drive. That's really was one of the things that kept it moving was that Charlie Brewer... Uh, quarterback draw play but I think at a certain level you have to try and and also establish some level of run with your running backs you know Mm -hmm. in that first half especially especially the thing is too like they (laughs) I was joking about this with some people like they in that first half had all of the the fallacies of of that Art Bryles offense, right? Where, um, you know, people, especially Baylor people, have been talking like, man, we got to score quicker, we got to score more, we got to get points, we got to get stuff like that. But, like, mm-hmm. this is the perfect example of why that isn't always the best idea. Right. You know, like, you want to be able to get points, yes, but you also need to be able to set up other parts of the game. And, like, you know, I, I think they did a great job of obviously taking what the defense gave them in that first half, but. Mm-hmm. I think at a certain level too, man, you just gotta you gotta hand the ball off to John Lovett more than one time the entire ball game, and yeah. uh, and and just say, hey, you know what, man, you're gonna get three yards, and that's not great, but like you have to respect it. Then you have to defend mm-hmm. it, and um, you know, and the other thing too is like they tried to get to the edge. I remember one specific time with Josh Fleeks, uh, and that was really the only time they did it. Uh, and, and it only went for two yards. Again, I mean, that, but that's one of those plays that you try to set up. You know, you force them to defend that. Right. And, um, and even, even Jermichael Hasty, man, like, Jermichael Hasty had a back-breaking fumble uh, on the first drive of the second half. Mm-hmm. Like, that was, and it, I want to say, no, it was the drive before. It was after Oklahoma scored for the, uh, in the second half. Okay, it was after uh, Oklahoma scored. Yeah. And, and, like, he had broken away. He went for uh, 18 yards, mm-hmm. and then he fumbles the ball just – you know, great play by the Oklahoma defense, but like, um, and that's been an issue for him for sure. But like, 
that was there. I mean, that's still an 18-yard gain. You know, like, that's yeah. that's having success in the run game, even when the result doesn't ultimately end up favoring you because he fumbles the ball. Mm-hmm. And so you have to try and test it. You know, you have to make Neville Gallimore have to look up. You know, you have to make him respect the run. Um, and, and ultimately, a big part of that is because, you know, you look at who Baylor was playing on the offensive line, and this has been a trend all season long. You know, they put back in their true sophomore, Connor Galvin, who played very well after being reinserted at left tackle. Mm-hmm. They played a redshirt freshman in Khalil Keith. They played a redshirt fr- freshman at, for stretches in Casey Phillips. Like, they're still really young. You know, they don't trust this offensive line quite as yet. And, and I mean, honestly, for good reason, you know, because they are still very young and they're still trying to figure it out. You know, the only the only upperclassman who got any real burn is Sam Tecklenburg. That's the yeah. only guy who's consistently out there because they even, uh, you know, right tackle, they have a junior, but it's a Juco junior who was a transfer from Snow College. Like this is... This is still a very young offensive line, and ultimately, you know, I saw some consternation about, oh, offensive scheme and all that. We don't know what this offensive scheme is even supposed to look like against good teams because they can't block well enough for it as yet. Right. So, so, and that's not something that's going to change this season, right? Like, that's the thing. But, but I still think that they were blocking well enough, even in run blocking, where you have to try and set it up. Like, you have to give them a chance. Uh, because ultimately what was happening was, you know, Baylor ran uh, 52 offensive plays, and 46 of them were Charlie Brewer. You know, mm-hmm. like, that's crazy. You that's can't insane. put that much on his shoulders. Yeah, yeah that's, that's that's not sustainable. And right. so um, if, I'm, if I'm walking away from this game, though, thinking Baylor still very much, in my opinion, has a chance to win the Big 12. Right, sure, like I still sure. think that they are clearly at the level where they can compete with Oklahoma and maybe cause some trouble and maybe come away with a Big Twelve win. And you know what? Selfishly, as a, as somebody who covers this state, I am absolutely thrilled that I don't have to watch the playoff ranking show anymore and get mad about that <laughs> because, right. for God's sake. But uh, but you know, I mean, Baylor showed that you know what Oklahoma needed. Literally the biggest comeback in the history of the University of freaking Oklahoma, one of the most storied football programs in the history of this country. They needed the biggest comeback in program history just to beat, you know, a, a Baylor team that was one eleven two years ago at home. You know, like yeah. that's I think that there's plenty of good to take away from this game. And also, obviously, man, just as a fan of football in the state, like that was a hell of a football game. Man. That was incre- it was it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. It made I mean like it made Lincoln Riley adjust his game plan, right? I mean, yeah. granted, granted, he probably should have come in. Well, actually, I don't know how, how like, I know the CD Lamb news was, like, pr- just prior to kickoff. So, like, he probably uh, they, they knew. Didn't have... He said that they knew. He did? Okay. So, obviously, you want to ding Lincoln, ding Lincoln Riley a little bit for not having something better in the first half for not well, having well, your game-breaking I mean, receiver. But, I mean, I credit Baylor say, for making that, you know, for making him have to adjust. I, I will say, I think a lot of that is on Jalen Hurts. I think that a lot of that is on Jalen Hurts just knowing, you know, for most of the season that if we're going to take any shot longer than like eight yards down the field, I'm looking for CeeDee Lamb and I don't know where else to look. Like, because in that first half when he was looking around and in in that second half, you know, a lot of the stuff that he had success on were just quick reads, you know, were were hot routes. Like, I mean, I think that a certain level of that is, hey man, like, Jalen Hurts, when he's looking down the field, has a lot of tunnel vision on C.D. Lamb. Like, he finds Charleston Rambo on the shorter routes, but mm-hmm. when he's looking down the field, he is always looking for number two. That's fair. I mean, 
I don't know. Uh, maybe maybe it was maybe it did take a half of him to concertedly make a concerted effort to look to the underneath route to, underneath routes to not force things down the field because again Baylor did a really good job of you know blanketing receivers when they crossed the first down marker um, right. and just making him try to make those deep throws. But yeah, I, I, to me though, it looked like. Uh, if I'm Lincoln Riley, I tell I I make sure to tell Jalen Hurts, right. you know, no know, knowing what you have in him as a quarterback, knowing that he's not Kyler Murray at deep throws, he's not Baker Mayfield at deep throws, he's probably not even Landry Jones on deep throws. He's a very good quarterback when you have a running option, when you need somebody to run and you have short to intermediate, right? That's Jalen Hurts' right. game, yeah. and I I just feel like. I just feel like it, it. It from all all walks of life on that Oklahoma sideline, it looked like they needed an entire half to realize. Oh, we don't have our game breaking receiver in the game. Right. <laughs> um, also, one thing: do you think? Do you think this game might have saved the Big 12's playoff hopes? Because now, to me, after watching that, I could say Baylor deserves to stay at thirteen, and I can say maybe even potentially even move up. And we know Oklahoma's going to move up. So, I don't know. Do I, I, I'm not saying Oklahoma's a favorite now or anything, but I look at that game, and I think that oh, Baylor did the playoff committee a favor. Because now they don't have to, I don't think they have to drop them at all. I, they probably will, because things don't make any sense. But I think that they made this discussion a little bit more favorable for the Big 12. So here's why I hate that question. <laughs> it's because... In 2014, yeah. I covered this team. Yep. And the running joke was, if this team was Oklahoma, then they would be in the playoff. <laughs> yep. And now, now we're in a situation where the team from the Big 12 is no longer undefeated Baylor. It's Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. And now we're having a talk about, oh, of course, you know, if they go 12-1, and one, they belong in the playoff. Right, right. right. And, and so I just, again, as somebody who's been around that program, who has been around TCU a whole lot, who has been around a lot of other programs that are not the marquee ones in the state who have had a lot of success, mm-hmm. uh, the annoyance is, oh, of course, now that Oklahoma, who lost to Kansas State, who, you know, with two teams that have played virtually the same schedule and Oklahoma needing literally the biggest comeback in school history, oh, now, now maybe the Big 12 can get into the playoff, now that it's Oklahoma instead of Baylor. Right. You know what I mean? Like, that's that's why, and that's, I'm not saying that's you who's saying that. I'm no, saying no, that I, has I happened. It. I get it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, that has happened where now all of a sudden it's like, oh, well, of course the Big 12 is back in the playoff picture. Oklahoma's going to move up to number six or number five and and have a chance to, you know, to, to crack that top four if they go 12 and one. And and just like two days ago, we were talking about, well, you know, Baylor might be able to beat Oklahoma twice and still miss the playoff. You right. know, like the fact that we are having these conversations is just it's why I, I just can't get myself to care about the playoff. You know, mm-hmm. because because ultimately it is an invitational that is made to benefit certain people. And that's fine, right? But, like, as somebody who loves Group of Five football, as somebody who loves, you know, the lower uh, Power Five schools, and when, you know, when Tech is able to get things going and whenever, you know, uh, TCU and Baylor are able to get things going, like, I love that. But, like, they're never going to be treated fairly. And I think that the, the way that that has shifted you know, uh, mindset wise, mm-hmm. I, I think is just, it, it reinforces some of the ills that we've talked about already, you know, right. with when it is, oh, well, you know, 
Baylor isn't is number 13 not because of anything they've done wrong this year but because of what you know they're not Oklahoma and they haven't been there however many of the past few years and and ultimately it's like man <laughs> you know in college basketball like nobody says well you know we should make this team a one seed because they had Zion last year mm-hmm. you know like like nobody thinks that way and so I don't know it's <laughs> <laughs> for me i yes i do think the big 12 is back in the playoff picture but yeah. i it, it it's a frustration for me that that's the case not some sort of benefit you know what i mean yeah no i understand <laughs> you know i just like making you upset so it's fine oh man i i literally <laughs> said in the middle of today's show that we don't have to talk about the playoff rankings anymore nope. and, and here of we course go again. i had to ask that question come on <laughs> i i am curious though uh I mean, I did see, uh, I know Jason Kersey over at The Athletic said, Mm -hmm. this is an opportunity for the committee to say, we are different than every other ranking. You know, you're not, let's not ding Baylor. No, that's exactly, that's what I was going to say. Like, looking at it right now, Baylor's at 13 with Auburn and Florida ahead of them at both at two losses. Like, I wouldn't, it would not be the worst thing in the world. Right. It would not be the worst thing in the world for Baylor to move up to 11 after a loss. Right. Yeah. Um. And then Oklahoma obviously is probably going to move up. Minnesota lost, right? Yes. Yeah. Minnesota, like you know, they're probably going to be around eight or seven, maybe just nine. I don't know where they're where they're thinking, but I agree. Like Baylor should probably move up after that performance, or at least stay the same. Right. I mean, because I think you know the one thing that I think you say about that is like you. You know, you look at Baylor, and the whole deal was that we haven't seen them against an elite opponent. We've had we've seen them had success against sorry, we've seen them have success against really good teams in Oklahoma State and Kansas State, obviously. But right. we want to see what they look like against sort of the elite of the elite. Mm-hmm. But again, you know, and then we look at a situation where like Michigan crushed Michigan State, and we look at a situation where Notre Dame killed Navy, and you know, we look at a situation where uh, where Iowa. Iowa went and beat Minnesota. I think it's way more likely that Baylor falls behind all three of those teams, even Mm -hmm. though all of them have two losses, uh, and and even potentially stays behind Auburn, than Mm -hmm. it is for Baylor to stand pat or move up or have any shot at being even on the borderline of that top ten. Yeah. And, And here's the other thing, too, right? Is like, if Baylor were to beat Texas... Uh, you know, who won't be ranked this week, obviously, mm-hmm. um, after losing to Iowa State. I don't know. We'll, we'll see. <laughs> well, I guess, we'll I guess see everything is how bizarre. this thing is going. Well, yeah. But but I guess the other thing that you say about that, though, is K-State lost. So now Texas doesn't have their quote-unquote quality win that got them ranked uh, in the true. first place. That's true. So it's all whatever. I mean, I, God, I, can't, I can't do it. But, like, um, but you know, you look at a situation where now Baylor's going to play unranked Texas. They're going to mm-hmm. play Kansas. They're going to play potentially, you know, number seven-ish Oklahoma in the mm-hmm. Big 12 title game. Well, like, if Baylor goes 12-1, and one, like, we're talking about Oklahoma if they go 12-1, and one, okay, maybe they can make the, big t- the, the college football playoff. Yeah. If Baylor goes 12-1 and one with this schedule, do they finish, like, 11? <laughs> like, Probably, yeah. It and that's th- that's the thing again, where where Oklahoma and Baylor are literally sitting there with potentially the exact same resumes in a lot of cases. But mm-hmm. we're talking about Oklahoma being number four, and we're talking about Baylor being borderline top ten. So 
I, I hate all of it. I, uh, I think that I have gone on the record before, but I will go on the record again saying uh, bring back the BCS because I like the fact that we recognize those champions as illegitimate and that's how we should treat every single college football championship. <laughs> and uh, and unt- I think that that is the way to go. You know, we can have the separate BCS and AP. I don't care, man. Like, like who cares who wins the title? That's what yeah. it comes down to for me. And I actually, uh, not to go off on another thing, but like I asked Reese Davis about it, um, you know, when at the college game day media stuff and Mm -hmm. you know in a lot of ways like has the playoff made college football less inclusive than ever because the idea was okay you know we we in all reality we made it for it it, 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 by definition and by logistics it is more inclusive just because it is four versus two but we under the bcs model we openly acknowledge that you know group of five teams aren't making it Right. Yeah. We open that with the BCS. We openly acknowledge that that wasn't a possibility. With right. with the playoff, there's kind of an illusion of a possibility, where we well, the, where we believe that like too, just because there's four right. teams that one of them could be a group of five team. And I well, think we're still even more than that. that. Even more than that, though, I think that moving to four, uh, you know, creates the illusion that anybody other than Alabama, right, right, Clemson, right. Ohio yeah. State. You know, Penn State to an extent, mm-hmm. uh, Oklahoma, uh, Florida, Georgia, you know, Auburn. Like, we're talking 10 teams maybe right. in the entire sport that truly have a shot at that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and, and so I think that in a funny way, it collects all of our attention and focuses it just on those teams. And and I think that that's actually going to even have even more of an effect where when you look at recruiting, I think it's going to become just like that too and i think it has become like that where mm-hmm. you know you have these 10 teams that are just on another planet and they've always been on you know a different planet but like i think it's even becoming worse yeah. uh you know because like if you want a chance to play in the playoff you have to play at one of eight schools you mm-hmm. know and so um i don't know i uh, i mean i i was i was not a part of college football long enough during the bcs and before eras to have had a strong opinion when the playoff came about mm-hmm. um and now I'm sitting here like, man, like winning your conference meant something, you know, like, yeah. like when, uh, winning, uh, you know, a bowl game meant something and getting to play these good te- teams and these good games and, and being dominant over, uh, you know, your, your space. And like, I mean, I was talking to somebody again too. I mean, again, it's, it's so secret. I'm a Baylor girl. Like somebody was asking me, you know, is, would it be more meaningful to make the playoff or win the big 12? And I'm like, that's a, that's a question that sucks, you know, <laughs> like, because if you make the playoff, like you already won the big 12, that should be a big deal. You know, it should be a big deal to go through and win your conference. If you're a school like Baylor and like w- with all of it, focusing on the playoff, man, I don't know. It's just, I, I, I don't know. <laughs> and this is going to be a conversation we have to have every single November, every single year for you know, until, until they maybe make it to eight. And even then I'm like, whatever. I, I, I think I at least like having a path and understanding how a team can get there, but like, it's still its own, you know, issues. And I don't know, man, I, I think I've tweeted it probably four or five times before. Nobody's making you care about who wins the national title. You know, you don't have to watch college football and think, well, you know, maybe Alabama could beat this team. Nobody's thinking that, right? Like, mm-hmm. like nobody sits here and watches Alabama or Clemson win the national title and be like, well, the Dallas Cowboys could beat them. Like, who cares, man? You know, like, that's not what this is about. Like, this is about <laughs> beating your friends, you know? <laughs> like, this is about... Hey, a bunch of my friends went to Texas and Oklahoma and went to TCU and went to Baylor. And you know what? It's fun if we can beat them. You know, like that's what this is about. So, 
Mm-hmm. Whatever. That That is my college football playoff rant. I'll probably have to make it like three more times before the season's over. But those are my thoughts on the matter. <laughs> yep. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, uh, I think that's about as good a time as any to end it. Uh, to run back through, though. I mean, seriously, it was it was a really fun week of football. Number mm-hmm. 12, UTEP. Number 11, Rice. Number 10, Texas State. Number 9, UTSA. Number 8, North Texas. Number 7, Houston. Number 6, Texas Tech. Number 5, TCU. Number 4, Texas. Number 3, Texas A&M. Number 2, SMU. The number 1, Baylor Bears. Um, let's see. Next week, we've got Texas A&M going to Georgia. That should be an awesome game. Um, we've got Baylor playing Texas. That should be a lot of fun, a meaningful game for, for here. TCU's going to go play on the road at Oklahoma. We can see if they can ruin a season. I mean, there's still a lot of fun games left, man. It, oh, yeah. <laughs> it's going to be a lot of fun. And uh, SMU has Navy next week, don't they? Oh, uh, man. Yes, I believe they do. Let's see how they are off that bye, man. That's going to be a lot of fun. Whew. Navy and, machine uh, is back. Yeah, and I don't know if it's been announced as yet, but I know today on Sunday they are re- releasing the uh, the both. Um, I'm sorry, I don't know why I'm blank. Right? Uh, they're releasing the Division Two and D- Division Three playoff pools today, so mm-hmm. that's something to keep an eye on. Uh, we should have something up on that on TexasFootball.com by the time that you get this episode. Uh, as always, everybody, thanks so much for listening. Thank you for indulging me with my pointless rants about something that I have no control over. Uh, but you can find all of our work at TexasFootball.com. You can find us on Facebook, Dave Campbell Sex Football. You can find us on Twitter at DCTF. The basketball oh, well, magazine. Hold on, Corey Hogue just tweeted out right now. Uh, 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 Tarleton uh. hosts Commerce in the first round Saturday in oh, Stephenville. That sucks. Yeah. Oh, come on. Come on. Yep. <laughs> why, why? I mean, okay, like it's fun for the teams to play, but like, why are you why are you putting Commerce again with Tarleton? We already know what's going to happen. Yep. So there you go. <laughs> oh, man. Um,. <laughs> Anyway, so, we'll have a full breakdown of that and what to expect, which is a bloodbath. So, <laughs> yeah, well, well, so Corey actually with some info. Um, so Minnesota State is number one again. There was a lot of talk that Tarleton could be number one in like the region because the way that it were, it's very complicated when it comes to like regions and how it's set up in Division Two. Mm-hmm. Um, but basically, um, think think of it like again the NCAA tournament with basketball, where uh, I want to say like. Seven teams get in, I think, from certain from this region, and so so the number one team is Minnesota State over Tarleton, which means that for Tarleton to make sort of that final group, they have to go to Minnesota State and win. Mm-hmm. Um, apparently, <laughs> um, apparently, uh, Anm Commerce <clears throat> dropped from number six to number seven behind Sioux Falls, even though. They beat Angelo State, who was, I think, number eight last week in the rankings, and so they moved down even though they beat a good team. Whatever. I don't know, man. Apparently, this is just an issue that we have with all of sports, and sports are dumb, and uh, I don't know why we watch them. But <laughs> anyway, so Tarleton football against Texas A&M Commerce in the first round of the D2 playoffs in Stephenville next week. Uh, keep an eye out for coverage of that. Uh, Corey Hogue has got us covered. All right. Anyway, I was going to say, Texas Basketball Magazine, that is now out on bookshelves. If you look at bookshelves, man, they are bright yellow. You cannot miss them. It looks really, really cool on bookshelves, honestly. Uh, And we put a lot of work into it, and uh, yeah, we're excited for you to get a chance to read it. All right, Hish, anything else? Uh, No, I think you got everything. You want to go on another college football playoff rant? 
God, I really, really don't. I really don't. Again, I'm telling you, I don't want to talk about these rankings for the rest of the season. They do not matter to me. Sure, sure. All right, all right, man. Whatever, whatever. (laughs) Thanks, everybody, for listening as always, and we will talk to you again on Wednesday.